Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. may be seated. Did you all know that elephants have the longest gestation period of any mammal? I googled that. So. By contrast, a hamster, I also googled this, uh, has the shortest gestation period. Elephants are 95 weeks they're pregnant. Hamsters are 16 to 23 days, not even a month spent in pregnancy. Now humans, we all should know, have roughly a 40 week or a nine month gestation period. Of course, anyone who's had a baby knows that one's due date is more of a target date than anything. Only about 5% of babies are actually born on their due date. This morning, our gospel reading portrays the Annunciation of the angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary that she would conceive a son who'd be the savior of the world. This is the uh, traditional commemoration for the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, and yet in the, in the oddity of our calendar this year, with Christmas being tomorrow, and our commemorating the birth of Christ tonight and, and tomorrow morning, we're hearing of the bookends of Mary's gestation period on the same day. It's only gonna take us about nine hours to liturgically move nine months. So although Christmas is the Mass of Christ, the celebration of the birth of, birth of Christ, we focus this morning on Mary, Mary Theotokos, Mary the God-bearer. Mary who very unexpectedly becomes a key player in God's plan of salvation, who, who unpredictably became the fulfillment of prophecy predicted long previously. Mary who undergoes the unprecedented event of a virgin conception. And I want to suggest this morning that, that the posture that Mary takes toward God in the conception of Christ is a posture that we too ought to take on. For Mary's openness to God uh, encapsulates the, the proper and archetypal Christian response to God. We heard today from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Uh, the previous few verses in, in Luke's gospel, the opening of Luke's gospel, is perhaps familiar to us. It's, got this introductory section telling Theophilus, the, the recipient of Luke's writing, that he aims to write an orderly account of the things concerning Jesus Christ. And then Luke immediately dives into the narrative by introducing Jesus' family. Uh, but the narrative starts not with Mary, however, but rather with those curious events uh, surrounding the conception of his cousin, John the Forerunner, to his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this way, we, the readers, are sort of narratively prepped for a pivot from the forerunner to the one who would eventually, uh, who, to the one whom uh, John says he's not unworthy to untie the sandals of. So Luke makes us, the readers, kind of follow the angel Gabriel from a home uh, in the, from the temple all the way to Nazareth of Galilee, where then Luke zooms in, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. That same messenger of God who spoke to Zechariah, the priest in the temple, comes to this unsuspecting young woman who herself would one day, well, that day, become the dwelling for the Most High. And so we pick up the scene in Luke 1.28 where Gabriel addresses Mary in this unexpected way. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now the text doesn't give us any indication about what Mary is doing when Gabriel unexpectedly comes to her. There's lots of artist portrayals that give visual interpretations of this passage of scripture, have Mary uh, praying or studying Torah or maybe just sweeping the house. 
I, I think we can suppose that she was just going about her ordinary business on a, up to that point, ordinary day when this unexpected messenger from heaven arrived. And one can imagine, I think, from verse 29 that the angelic visitor was a surprise to Mary, to say the least, one that provoked no small amount of fear in her, because the angel says, fear not. And if the surprise of an angelic visitor isn't enough, then the message that God's messenger gives to Mary is even more of a shock. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Perhaps that's something of an archetype of the unexpected. Here's Mary, just minding her own business, just going about her life, when the messenger of God comes to her suddenly, dramatically, and unexpectedly to change her life forever. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. I don't know about you, I can't relate directly to this, but it does seem as though my life has been full of unexpected things in the last few months and even the last few years. Maybe that's just life. Maybe I should have learned by now that one ought to expect the unexpected. But there's lots of ways that my life, my family's life has gone uh, lately that were not as I was anticipating them to go. Nothing I've experienced is as dramatic or as intense as an angel showing up and telling me something. Nothing quite rises to the level of a miraculous conception, but I think I can resonate just a little bit with Mary in having these moments of thinking, hang on, what's, what's going on right now? But whether what we face now or in the new future is anticipated or not, I think this posture then that Mary shows here, that, that she enacts here in her response to Gabriel, her posture of radical openness to God, this posture ought to be a posture that we ought to take on at any time in God's call to us. One thing I love about the next verse, looking down at verse 34 in, in chapter 1, is that, is that Mary didn't, uh, didn't initially just jump up and say, yeah, I'm in. But rather, Mary's initial response, when she finally does speak in this narrative, and it takes a while, is not without some very understandable confusion. She says, I'm going to conceive a son, but I'm a virgin. How can this be? We've taken some biology classes, perhaps, and we can Google things like gestation. How can this be? It would seem that the very conjunction of the de definition of these terms, virgin and conception, uh, would produce a question like, like Mary's. How can this be? But Gabriel explains this. He, he patiently explains to her how this can be. For nothing will be impossible with God, he says. To this, then, Mary utters what I take to be kind of the climax of this narrative here, uh, an expression that encapsulates, I think, the entire Christian life. Verse 38, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary seems to say, okay, yeah, I'm in. All that stuff you just told me sounds kind of crazy, kind of scary, and intimidating even, definitely unexpected, but I'll take it. So be it. Let it be to me as you have said. I suppose what else can we say to God? What else can we say to God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Is not the, the fundamental personal response to the truths expressed in the creed is just to say to God, may it be to me according to your word. And so I want to suggest that if the posture that Mary takes here towards God is apt for her in this very unexpected encounter with the messenger of God, then it can be appropriate for us in this season or indeed in any season to come 
Mary's posture toward God uh, via her posture toward the messenger of God is particularly appropriate when we're faced with uncertainty or uh, unexpectedness or even confusion about what God has done for us. Or even what in the world could Mary have been thinking was meant that she would conceive in her womb? What could she have thought when the angel explained to her that the Holy Spirit would, would overshadow her and the power of the Most High would come upon her? I, I don't think she could have had any firm, concrete idea of what was laying ahead of her in her future. She couldn't have had any firm, concrete idea of even what the next step was. How can this be? Yet even in the face of that uncertainty, in the face of the confusion, in the face of the great unknown for her future, she makes this response, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And then just a few verses later, we get the song of Mary in chapter 1 of Luke. We often read this in, in evening prayer. And I think this gives us some further insight into Mary's posture towards God, her, her openness to God. Because it's clear that her willingness to go along with the divine plan is not reluctant or, or coerced. Rather, she in her song joyfully and even excitedly praises God for what he's doing through her. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And here's a few more aspects of God's work that she joyfully praises him for. She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me. His mercy is for those who fear him. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He's filled the hungry and sent the rich away. He's helped his servant Israel. Mary's song here, as a response to the angel's message, I think provides a gloss or kind of an expansion of her joyful embrace of God's plan for her, God's plan for the world, and her willingness even then to participate in this plan. This uh, statement, may it be to me according to your word, encapsulates Mary's profound posture of openness to God, a, a posture of obedience to God, and I think even a posture of submission to God. But I want to point out that I think a proper understanding of the scene helps us to see that Mary's sub submission in her let it be to me according to your word, uh, we don't see some sort of submission to domination, but rather Mary's action is like a, a submission to cooperation. When the angel says to Mary, you will conceive in your womb, fulfilling prophecy in Isaiah 7, um, I think this emphasis on the beginning of the human gestation period has a very profound theological lesson like embedded in it. We've got to go back to some of the traditional teaching from our councils and creeds to see it. So the traditional teaching of the meaning of the virgin conception by the Holy Spirit is that Mary herself contributed some of her own flesh, some of her own genetic material at the beginning of the gestation period of our Lord, which was used in the miraculous conception. The teaching is that Mary wasn't just the surrogate mother of Jesus, rather she participated, cooperated in this act of incarnation by the means of using her own body, through which Christ was, to use the language from the councils, consubstantial with us humans, that's like us in every respect. The creedal confession regarding the incarnation is that Jesus Christ is God and a human being, the Son of God according to his divine nature, and a son of Adam, the son of Mary, according to his human nature. So here's a quote from the Fourth Ecumenical Council. You'll entertain me for a second. Jesus Christ is at once complete in Godhead and complete in humanity, truly God and truly human, of one substance with the Father, capital F, the Father, as regards his Godhead, 
and at the same time of one substance with us as regards his humanity. So the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity came about through the participation and cooperation of Mary, her saying yes to God, her contributing her own body to the human nature of Jesus Christ. And so what that, what that means, maybe a little bit of a sidebar here, is that the incarnation occurred right here, at this moment here in Luke 1, when Mary told the angel, let it be to me according to your word, and the over, Holy Spirit overshadowed her. So I don't want to burst our Christmas bubble here, but this means the incarnation didn't happen on Christmas. I mean, we should celebrate Christ's birthday. That's a good thing to do, and we're going to do that tonight and tomorrow. We have a whole 12-day festival for, for celebrating Christ's birth. But the incarnation didn't occur right here. It occurred nine months previously, not on December 25th, on March 25th. The incarnation initially took place not some night in a barn behind an inn in Bethlehem, but on that day in Nazareth when Mary simply said, may it be to me according to your word. God's grand plan of salvation included the participation and cooperation of this young woman and I wonder if we too can be open to cooperating with God in the unexpected ways he's bringing about his plan in whatever season we're facing. God was at work in and with Mary when the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus Christ in her. God was at work in and with Mary as she consented to participate with God in bringing about the incarnation. And I think Mary shows us what an openness to God and an openness to the divine plan looks like one that even rejoices in the unexpected work of God our Savior. And so I wonder if in the midst of an unexpected season or in any season, we can hold on to this image of a young woman who opened herself to God and said, let it be to me according to your word. And in so doing, the gestation period that commenced with her expression became the grand part of the story of our salvation. Amen. Amen.